of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Hello and welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones here giving you my work on the Psalm Project, where I am setting every psalm, all 150 psalms, to music. And in addition, I am giving you my commentary each week on these psalms. It has been uh, thus far a very formative experience for me, and so... Uh, Hopefully it has been for you, too, as we go through these psalms and look at them and the purpose behind them, uh, categorize them, um, and even consider how they can be used in uh, Christian worship practices today. And so that brings us to Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is a lengthy psalm, so here's what I have done with it, and there will be uh, inevitably other psalms I will have to be creative in how I set it to music because <clears throat> they are so lengthy. Psalm 119 is an example of that. I'm <laughs> already thinking about what I'm going to do when I get there because it is so long. You have to take a pragmatic approach. Um, obviously, uh, nothing in Scripture is void. Scripture never returns void. And so, even the weird stuff, you know, uh, when you get into the book of Numbers and it talks about genealogies and numbers, uh, even that is beneficial. Uh, Psalm 19, however, is incredibly long, and so you have to figure out ways to do it. Yes, it's the Word of God. Yes, it's important, but you have to be pragmatic about it. For example, you, you would not, the Bible is important, every word of Scripture is important, but you would not read the entire Bible every week during a Christian worship gathering because it's impossible. And so when I get to Psalm 19, 119, I am going to uh, do something creative. Uh, it may have to be divided into multiple episodes. Psalm 18 is not as long as Psalm 119, but it is long. And so rather than read the Psalm first, as I normally do, I am not going to do that. I'm going to immediately get into my commentary and then give you the recording. Now, what I've done with Psalm 18 is I've done this with some other psalms in the past that I've actually used in churches in which I've served. Um, the majority of it is going to be read or spoken. This is for the, the song, the my setting. And I have created a chorus out of maybe a section of that psalm. And in Psalm 18, <clears throat> it is from the, the beginning of the psalm. I have taken some liberties with the text for that chorus, that refrain, if you will. And so the way it works is, and the way I've used these in the past, is I write a refrain from that psalm, and then the rest of the text is read, and that refrain is juxtaposed and put in between these read or spoken portions of the psalm. And we've I've done that in churches uh, where I've served before, and so it is, it is a, a feasible thing for anyone to do. If you want to include more scripture in your worship practices, you can set a scripture to music and then have the rest, the remainder of the text read and then come back to the refrain where the congregation is singing it. And what it does is allows people to think and ponder and meditate on that text. 
So I am not going to read the text here for you. You will hear it read during the musical recording. It is 50 verses. So it would take a while for me to read it. Plus, it would be uh, just very redundant because it is going to be read anyway. So I will immediately get into the commentary. Psalm 18. So here we are at Psalm chapter 18. It is uh, a psalm that gives thanks to the Lord for deliverance. Let me read you the entire title in my ESV Reformation Study Bible. It is entitled, The Lord is my rock and my fortress. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, and then it continues. And so this is a, a, Lord that, a psalm that gives thanks to the Lord for deliverance. This psalm actually appears in 2 Samuel 22 with some minor differences. So um, you can go back to 2 Samuel chapter 22 and see this psalm there. This is um, where this text comes from. So. Let's get into it. In Psalm 18.1, David says, I love you, Lord. Not the usual Hebrew word for love. It emphasizes intimacy, expressing David's personal devotion. And then he goes on in verse 2 to refer to the Lord as his rock and his fortress. His rock. And this term uh, connotes protection. When David fled from uh, from Saul, he could find refuge in the caves, in the cliffs, And on the dry stream beds, that's where he would find refuge. And so he associates this refuge with the refuge taken in the Lord. In verse 4, he's he's recounting what has happened. He says, the cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me or terrified me in some translations. Uh, The cords of death, the tentacles of death rise up from shield, the underworld to drag the psalmist down here. The torrents of destruction, the powers of evil and death are frequently linked to an overwhelming flood. So David here does so in saying the torrents of destruction. Let me read you Isaiah uh, chapter 28, uh, beginning in verse 15. Because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. And then in verse 17. I will make justice the line, and righteousness the plumb line, and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant and death will be annulled. And your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. And then listen to this in Matthew sixteen eighteen. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And in Psalm 46, 2 Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. 
Psalm 69, 1 and 2. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. This image of a torrent, of a storm, the waters, the waves, is frequent in Scripture. So you see that, but you also see what the psalmist is saying here, because he's recounting what's happened to him, but he is acknowledging that God and God alone has protected him. In Psalm 18.6, uh, David says, From his temple he heard my voice. The place, the temple that he's referring to here, the place of God's special presence. At the dedication of the temple, Solomon indicated that this was the proper response to trouble. Uh, you can read that in 1 Kings chapter 8 and see what Solomon does there as he blesses the Lord. Solomon David's son uh, saw the kingdom, the temple built, and he indicates that this was the proper response to trouble. Psalm 18.7, the earth reeled and rocked. When God reveals himself as a warrior, nature convulses. Listen to this in, in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 24. I'm going to read you verses 4 through 13. The earth mourns and withers, the world languishes and withers, the highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken ever the everlasting covenant. Therefore a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. The wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the tambourines is stilled. The noise of jubilant has ceased. The mirth of the lyre is stilled. No more do they drink wine with singing. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The wasted city is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none can enter. There is an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. All joy has grown dark. The gladness of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city. The gates are battered into ruins. For thus it shall be in the midst of the earth among the nations, as when an olive tree is beaten, as at the gleaning when the grape harvest is done. When God reveals himself as a warrior, which he is, people get the idea that God is this weak being, and he is absolutely not. When he reveals himself as such, particularly under his wrath, which has happened and will happen. Read the counts of Jesus' return when he is returning with fire in his eyes, a sword at his side, tattoo on his thigh, coming to judge the world. When God reveals himself as a warrior, nature Convulses. Nahum 1.5, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt, the earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. That is not a pleasant picture. And the psalmist here says, the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. If there's one being, one 
person in this entire universe we would never want to make angry, it is God. And yes, God, the scripture says he is slow to anger, but that does not say he does not get angry because he certainly does. Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, is accurate. People make fun of it. Read the text to that sermon and you will see the hellfire and brimstone that Jonathan Edwards preached, which is truth and the truth of scripture. The mountains trembled. The hills symbolize all that is firm and established in the world. So they're firm, but they shake before the might of God. In verse 8, David says, Smoke went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth. The nostrils and the mouth are standard figures of speech for anger. And so smoke and fire often accompany a theophany, a, a visual self-revelation of God. Genesis fifteen seventeen says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Exodus uh, nineteen eighteen says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kindlin, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So you see these visual images, and then Nahum 1.6 says, Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. And so the mouth and the nostrils of God are, are figures of speech for anger. Uh, but this symbolism, this, this image of fire and, and smoke, and often not even symbolism, often this literally happened. In Mount Sinai, for example, there was literally fire. Um, these accompany a theophany, a theophany. This is a visual self-revelation of God. Verse 9, the psalmist says that um, uh, darkness was under his feet. God is pictured as coming with the storm clouds into battle. This portrayal is frequent in Scripture. You see this in Psalm 68.4, in Nahum 1.3, in Daniel 7.13. And in the New Testament, Christ is portrayed as coming in the clouds. In Mark 13.26 and in Revelation 1.7, he's coming in, his, in the clouds. In Psalm 18.10, it says he rode a cherub and flew. Angelic beings first mentioned, uh, they're first mentioned in Genesis 3.24. And their role in Genesis 3 and their symbolic representation at key places in the tabernacle, Exodus 26, for example, indicate that they are guardians of God's holiness. Uh, for more uh, references on that, read Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10, and you will see that. But they are guardians of God's holiness. In verse 13, the Most High uttered his voice. It says, the Lord also thundered in the heavens, and he uttered his voice. His voice is that powerful, creating thunder. And in verse 14, he sent out his arrows and scattered them, or lightning, if you will. 
his arrows, lightning. This is kind of where you get the idea of Zeus throwing the lightning bolt. Um, this is a lot of metaphor here, but it is safe to say that God is capable of all of this. Every bit of it. His thunderous voice. Listen to Psalm 29, 3 through 9. The voice, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The, the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and stripes or and strips the forests bare, and in his temple all cry glory. So we see this image of God and his power that that again often is um, uh, metaphoric in a sense, but it is not a stretch to say that God cannot do any of this. He can do every bit of it. In verse 15, the psalmist says, The channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare. When God appears as a defender of his people, the waters representing chaos, as I mentioned earlier, the waters, the storms, the torrent. These waters and representing e evil and chaos, shrink back. You can compare Psalm 77, 16 through 19, reflecting on the exodus from Egypt, Nahum 1, 4, and Revelation 21, 1, to see this. All of this represents God's power, and David is glorying in his power. It says, The foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O oh Lord, God controls the chaotic waters of the sea. Psalm 106.9 Jesus shows himself to be the second person of the Trinity by silencing the chaotic waters with his rebuke. In Luke 8.22-25, we know the story of Jesus calming the sea. And it's a revelation of him as God. And then in verse 16, he drew me out of many waters. Again, symbolic of trouble and distress. Verse 19, he brought me into a broad place. This may be an allusion to the Exodus and the conquest of Canaan. God delivered Israel from many waters, including the Red Sea, and he brought them to a broad place, the Promised Land. The broad place contrasts with a narrow one from which it would be hard or impossible to escape from the enemy. Verse 21, I have kept the ways of the Lord, uh, God's covenant law. That's what that's referring to. In verse 25, with, merciful, with, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. The term translated merciful has reference to God's special loving kindness towards those with whom he has a covenant relationship, his people, for us, the church. There is no one like the Lord. Exodus fifteen eleven makes that clear. No one is like God. We say that sometimes. Who is like the Lord? It, it is a rhetorical device. No one. Verse 34, he, he trains my hands for war so that 
my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Bows were constructed primarily of wood at and at times reinforced with metal during this day. And so the bronze bow is meant to suggest the psalmist's God-given strength, which which would be more difficult to bend, a bow of bronze or a bow of wood. And then in verse 36, my feet did not slip. Paths are narrow and rocky in Israel, permitting slipping and injuring uh, an injury to a soldier. And so the divinely enabled steadfast faith of David is, is illustrated here. He did not slip in his faith. And in verse 38 through 40, he speaks of, um, I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, talking about his enemy. And he says, they turned their backs to me. Ancient Near Eastern tablets and stone memorials show enemies under the feet of conquerors and bowing before their captors. And so this was uh, symbolic in many ways. I mean, if you, if you travel over there and you see... Um, leaders of nations and their statues, often their enemies are bowing and underneath these leaders. Verse 41, they cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord. This indicates that the psalmist was battling fellow Israelites, not just foreigners. Verse 43, You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of nations. People whom I had not known served me. A focus on me, a focus on himself. David's personal imprint is strong here. God granted him victories over neighboring nations that were brought under his rule. You can see that um, historical documentation in 2 Samuel 8, 1 through 14. And then in verse 49. For this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. This is quoted by Paul in Romans 15, 9, as fulfilled in Christ, who brings the Gentiles to join his praise of God the Father. And then verse 50. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed Anointed At his coronation, the king was anointed with oil by the priest. Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, David's Lord and descendant, fulfills this psalm. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. So Jesus Christ, the descendant of David, the offspring of David, fulfills this psalm right here. And so this is a great psalm. Just There's so much here in this psalm, and uh, it is a rich psalm. It does make a good refrain. And so as I mentioned, you will hear the refrain sung, and then you will hear uh, the reading of the psalm uh, divided into three parts with the refrain Uh, juxtaposed and set in the middle of this reading. And so, like I said, I have done this before. I've employed this style, this model in worship gatherings before. It does make a great tool to use uh, for the worship experience. And so hopefully you are able to worship through this. And that's my goal is that these Psalms are understood more and allow God's people to worship more and better. 
And so thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through the clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice hailstones and coals of fire and he sent out his arrows and scattered them he flashed forth lightnings and routed them then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke O lord at the blast of the breath of your nostrils he sent from on high he took me he drew me out of many waters he rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt.
so the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. And those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. me from the strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. My strength and my rock, my 
And my deliverer in whom I trust.